As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined by Stuart Mandel. We are presented, as always, by our friends at Trader Joe's. Stu, there is a lot to talk about. We have a bunch of games this weekend. But first, there's some big news. So I want to preface this by saying, years ago when this podcast was in its earlier days, and it was on its shaky ground because I thought I was going to be staying at Fox, you were not going to be. And then you told me about some conversations you had had with some business people about a venture that I'll be honest, I was rooting for for you, but was very skeptical about. And now that little venture, which we both now work at, The Athletic had some big news as we're taping this on Wednesday. Tell everybody how it felt when you saw this, the stories coming out about it. Yeah, it's a milestone that we knew we would hit at some point this year. Then the pandemic hit and there was no sports for four months. And obviously we there was understandable concern about how that was going to affect things. But at the end of the day, The Athletic has hit the 1 million subscriber mark, which is amazing. Um, as you said, I joined the company at a time when nobody had yet heard of it outside of the few cities that it had uh, launched in, like Chicago and Toronto and Detroit and Cleveland. Um there were when I went to visit them in their office for the first time in San Francisco, there were four employees in the office, including the two founders. So, um, at the time we launched our college football site in on August twenty eighth, twenty seventeen, I think there were around twenty thousand subscribers to the entire company. So, to be talking about one million uh, is surreal. Uh, but I obviously it's it's great news for us, but I just think it's also great news for for journalism because obviously. Um, it's been a lot of negativity, a lot of bad news. A lot of people around the industry have lost jobs or seen their company go away entirely. So um, just just very encouraging that people do still appreciate quality sports journalism. And, and to anybody listening, hopefully all of you, or at least most of you who are our subscribers and have maybe been since the beginning or close to the beginning, uh, we can't thank you enough for your support, especially um, the fact that again like we went four months without any major sports in this country 
and people did not desert the athletic. Uh, we we hung in there, and now that you know college football is back as of this week, NFL will be back as of this week. We'll be pretty much at um, I don't want to say back to normal because there's nothing normal about these seasons, but pretty much back to full sports calendar. So um, yeah, Bruce, awesome news. Yeah, it was just one thought I had again going back to that time when you were just getting there, and I remember hearing you talk about it. And the one thing that kind of stuck with me was you talking. You know, my my view on that was why would people pay for something when they can get it for free? And what we have seen, um, and I brought said this a few times before, but with other media resources being tapped, the reality is. You're not getting it for free anyplace else. There aren't people who are, other sites do not have the the staff or the commitment or the resources to go out and go cover stories and go chase stories and find stories and go take the time to tell them that The Athletic does. And so it's been really cool to hear from people I work with on the other side of my job in terms of like... Joe Davis, who I work with, who does, who's the Dodgers play-by-play guy, talking about how much he loves the athletics baseball coverage, and one of the producers I work with talking about how much he loves and is the site and is always on it. And so to hear that has been very encouraging. And then obviously, as you said, in the middle of a pandemic, um, as hard as it has been for everybody, and it, and we acknowledge that. I think to see that people have still. Uh, sought out the site and really believe in it has been has just been very very um, rewarding and satisfying to hear the responses so today was good was was a good news day and as we're transitioning into this as you said we have we have games on Thursday we have a lot of games over the weekend not as many as probably were on the schedule because there's been more cancellations uh uh, I think we talked about this the other day, but in terms of me going into the studio for the Big Noon show, our Big Noon kickoff game on Fox was supposed to be Dave Aranda's first game at Baylor against Louisiana Tech. And on Tuesday afternoon, uh, Louisiana Tech had to postpone that game because they had an outbreak after they were dealing with the effects of the hurricane. From what I've been told, they did not think they were going to have even 50 players available, and a bunch of those players would have been quarterbacks and specialists, so to think those guys could play other positions was a stretch on top of that. And so what our company has done with the coordination of K-State and uh, with the coordination of K-State and Arkansas State, that has become our noon Eastern kickoff game. But that's going to be the new norm, I think, where you're going to have a bunch of these games probably get postponed the week of because the circumstances really beyond a lot of people's control. Yeah, I mean, you guys have not caught many breaks so far at Fox because, first of all, obviously losing the Big Ten and the Pac-12, but then uh, even within the Big 12, there have been three games this opening weekend involving Big 12 teams that had to be postponed, and the first one was uh, TCU-SMU, which was supposed to be this Friday night on FS1. So they lost that game. Uh, Then we lost... um, the Oklahoma State Tulsa game, although they're able to both, they have the next week open on the 19th, they'll be able to play that game. That one was pretty eye opening. It came out that Tulsa has had so many COVID problems that they've only been able to practice seven days since preseason camp opened. So they clearly 
weren't going to be ready for uh, September 12th. So you're right. I mean, I think um, everybody that is that has decided to forge ahead this fall is doing so under the assumption that games will get postponed. That's why they've added, uh, you know, in, in every case in, in all those conferences, they built in some extra weeks to be able to make up games. But I mean, if you're Bob Bowlesby, I think the Big 12 commissioner has been the one who, from the earliest stages, was just like, yep, this is how it's going to be. Uh, we're going to have disruptions. And, you know, I think that people need to be prepared, not just for that, but the probably, I mean, some games just won't be able to be made up if, if, it, if it just happens that the teams don't have the right off weeks. And so, I mean, you could get to the end of the season and have um, conference races decided by winning percentage instead of straight up records, uh, because some teams within a conference will not have played the same number of games as others. So um, that's why I think the Pac-12's strategy is actually pretty smart. If they can get these daily, you know, last week they announced this big deal for daily rapid response antigen tests, um, which if they're as accurate and reliable as they say they are, you you just won't have outbreaks. You might have a positive case or two, but you won't have outbreaks. Of course, the problem is by the time they start the season, um, they're not going to be able to be part of the playoffs. So uh, that's obviously the negative is outweighing the positive there. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize with a total of $3 million up for grabs for this Thursday's football contest. Getting in on Thursday night single game showdown is easy. All you have to do is download DraftKings using promo code Mays, M-A-Y-S, as in our new NFL podcast star, Robert Mays. Draft six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Head to the app now to start making it rain. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code Mays will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use code MAZE for a limited time. New users get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 million in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAZE, only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Uh, In terms of the games this week, what are you most looking forward to? Uh, Here's what I'm most excited about. I am very curious to see what Rhett Lashley, the new offensive coordinator at Miami, and D.R. King, the new uh, grad transfer quarterback, that they brought in from Houston, as well as they have really two freshman stud running backs, Jalen Knight and, and Don Chaney Jr. What they do against a pretty good defense that UAB has, has had. UAB's had a top 10 defense the last, or top 12 defense, I guess it is, the last two years. So I think that's an interesting matchup to see how much different uh, Manny Diaz's program looks now. Because when we last saw them, they looked pretty awful against Louisiana Tech in a bowl game. And they ended up firing the offensive coordinator, and they have definitely turned the page. So we'll see what they look like. The other one I really am interested to see 
is another one of the big three teams, and that's Florida State. They play Georgia Tech. I have no doubt that Jeff Collins will get Georgia Tech much improved as he recruits and ramps things up. But also, it's the, it's the first game for Mike Norvell, and I'm curious to see what Florida State's going to look like because they really backslid in the last four years, and are they going to bounce back, start to bounce back, or, or where are they headed to? And so um, those are the two that are, I'm most interested in. You? Yes. Uh, I'm I'm in agreement that both of those are interesting. Um now, I know that the, the ABC primetime game is Clemson-Wake Forest. We're actually bringing on uh, Grace Rayner, our Clemson writer, here in a few minutes to talk about the number one team in the country. Um, but I'm also expecting that game to be a blowout. Uh, the one that interests me is Duke-Notre Dame for several reasons. First of all, it is Notre Dame's first ever game as a conference member. This is an ACC conference game. In, in, in which there will be an ACC logo on the field at Notre Dame Stadium. I mean, I know unusual circumstances cause this, but it's still a historic event. Um, there's been a lot of hype around Notre Dame, I think in part because of them now being part of the ACC title race. And certainly we know Ian Book, uh, he'll be back, fifth-year senior quarterback. But there are a lot of new pieces around him on offense, uh, You know, running back, receiver. We had Pete Sampson on here a few weeks ago talking about the importance of Chris Tyree, their freshman running back. And Duke, you know, don't sleep on David Cutcliffe. They're usually in the mix for at least a bowl game. And interesting um, storyline with them this season, Chase Bryce, the Clemson transfer, who you will remember from that Syracuse game two years ago when, remember the crazy circumstances there where Kelly Bryant transferred, um, you know, took the four-game red shirt and transferred when he lost the starting job to Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence then gets hurt in the game, and Chase Bryce has to come in and bail them out. They almost, I think they need a big comeback to beat uh, Syracuse. We haven't seen him since then. He will be, he was announced as the starting quarterback for Duke in this game. So um, I think that's the headliner to me. Sneaky, under-the-radar one, Louisiana Lafayette, Iowa State. Yeah, I like that one too. I I think, I think ULL's a really good team, and Iowa State is a team between Brock Purdy and, and Brees Hall and those tight ends. I mean, we really, uh, I think you and I both are big believers in Matt Campbell. I mean, that is a good matchup. So uh, there's a lot to be excited about this weekend. Now, there were games last weekend. Uh, we saw BYU just absolutely truck Navy. Uh, we saw... Uh, you know, we saw a big upset, I think, and that's what I'm about to get to here in a second. I don't think anybody expected South Alabama to go beat Southern Miss. I think they were a two-touchdown underdog. And so as a result, we have our first coaching firing of the season already. Uh, Jay Hobson out as Southern Miss's coach, termed as a mutual decision. We always know what that means. Which means, Bruce, you got to break out your first coaching candidates to watch story of the season about two months earlier than usual yeah uh, and we don't expect a lot of movement on the coaching carousel because quite honestly there's not going to be a lot of schools with a lot of expendable income to throw around to buy coaches out of big contracts and then to commit to new staffs and quite honestly uh usm does not have a lot of money right now uh, jay hobson was the lowest paid coach in conference usa and 
he was making half a million dollars, which certainly isn't a small sum of money, but relative to FBS coaches, it certainly is. So this is interesting because there's a bunch of guys who have some connections or would be intrigued by this job. And so I'm gonna throw some names at you. You tell me which interests you and what your thoughts on. First of all, and this is a polarizing name, but I think it's a real one for this job, Liberty coach Hugh Freeze. Hugh Freeze is a Southern Miss alum. His wife is as well. They have a lot of connections down there. Now, he's paid a lot more money at Liberty than I think Southern could pay him. And Liberty has committed a lot of money to their football program in terms of facilities and whatnot. But his old boss, uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., had to leave that school. It was disgraced and left in scandal. And so who knows that, you know, who the new leadership of that program is going to be. But again, uh, Southern Miss is home to Hugh Freeze. In all likelihood, it's possible because people have won there. That's Brett Favre's alma mater. There's, there's, you can get a lot of players there. Does he have a better chance in becoming a Power 5 head coach again to do it from Southern Miss or to try to do it from Liberty? Um, what do you think of Hugh Freeze possibly coming back to the state of Mississippi? I mean, it's gross, but unavoidable. It's you know, gross. It's gross. Well, he oversaw an SEC program that was that was a, that was um, found to have committed major violations. Um, then, of course, we know about the 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 personal thing that actually got him fired. But you know, at this point, now that he has coached a season at Liberty and is about to coach another one, you know, he's there's enough distance now from that that it's not like Southern Miss is not going to generate some sort of huge controversy by hiring Hugh Freeze. I'm sure people will be very excited about it. Um, I'm sure he would win there. Uh, and he has you know, won Southern- every he has won everywhere he's been. I mean, look, I'm with you he, in this regard. I mean, he, he left Oxford in a scandal, and he said he was out for two years, and then Liberty hired him, and it's Liberty. But I think that, you know, I think if, if Southern Miss – opts to go that route and he he decides he wants that job. I mean, let's keep in mind, I mean, he's won everywhere he'd been. He won at Lambeth. He won 10 games in his one year at Arkansas State. He won big at Ole Miss. Um, He beat, and the thing is, this is the part that I think people probably lose sight of. He's a good game coach. I mean, he beat Nick Saban in Alabama a couple times. Not a lot of people are able to do that. So... um, I don't know. From there, then I give you another coach who is polarizing but has been a successful coach and also has a little bit of Ole Miss ties, although not as much as you freeze, and that is Rich Rodriguez. Thoughts on that one? Just one quick thing more about freeze. I mean, I, maybe I was a little too strong in saying gross, but it. Bobby Petrino is coaching Missouri State this week against Oklahoma. Like, it takes a lot for a coach not to get a second chance. May I remind you that Southern Miss itself, Jay Hobson, tried to hire Art Bryles as his offensive coordinator a couple of years ago before it got, you know, the uproar was so massive. So I, it, when I say, I don't actually think it would be all that controversial. It's, it seems almost inevitable that Hugh Freeze will move up again in the coaching world. Rich Rod, he is a polarizing figure. I think most of that has to do with his, um, you know, very high profile flame out at uh, Michigan. He also exited Arizona in controversy, but it's always been a little unclear, you know, 
how legitimate that was the the the, the lawsuit that was brought against him and the, some of the allegations um the only thing we know for sure is that he had an affair there so um i still think he's a great coach his offense works no offense in the in the college football last year gave uh lsu more fits than than the Ole miss offense that he was running so i think he'd do very well there i guess the question is does I think there. I think Hugh Freeze should jump to Southern Miss because uh, of everything you said about. I mean, Liberty's an independent. I'd rather be in a conference. But does Rich Rod want to get back to being a head coach badly enough to be a coach in Conference USA? I think the the question there is. I'm surprised some NFL team has not tried to hire Rich Rod as a consultant or some kind or help on the offense. And I know he was down at the combine and and had some discussions. But again, I mean. He, he actually got it going at Arizona and won and had Arizona in a place that we hadn't seen Arizona in a long time um, on the field. So so those are, I think, the guys who are probably from the sitting head coaches. And then there's a handful of, of top assistants who I think would at least listen. There's a couple guys at Georgia. Del McGee is one, the running backs coach and the run game coordinator. Uh, another old Miss guy, Matt Luke. He's basically from the Southern Miss area, and he and his family have a lot of connections there. Uh, I'm not sure if that would be a way USM would want to go. Brian Brown, who's the Louisville defensive coordinator, also is from the state of Mississippi. He's a hot name. Uh, Charles Huff from Alabama, he's interviewed for head coaching jobs already in FBS. I think he's somebody they would look at. Um, And let me throw like one wild card name out there. Do you remember Pat Sertan? Not the not the not the the terrific defensive back for Alabama, but his dad. Of course. Yeah. So I mean, he was he played there. He's been a very successful high school coach. I mean, would they would they maybe consider going that route? I mean, again, I don't think this is a school that's going to have a lot of money to throw at people. But what they can probably offer is a really strong recruiting base and some good tradition and you know what, I don't know how many other jobs are going to come open. I'm not saying this, this certainly won't be the only one that'll come open, but I, I would not expect two dozen like we normally get every year. So first of all, let's just acknowledge that you, you are not going to get a deeper discussion about the Southern Miss coaching opening anywhere on any national outlet or podcast than you just did here on the Audible. And two, let's just take a second to recognize in what is unquestionably the weirdest year any of us have lived through. As I look out, I'm recording this. I don't know what it looks like down where you are, but here in Northern California, the sky is literally yellow uh, from the wildfires. I've seen pictures in Oregon where the sky is red. It uh, went from 90 degrees to snowing in Colorado in like the span of a day. We are trying to figure out how to play college football amidst a pandemic. And we just had a discussion about a Conference USA coaching opening before they even play the first Power 5 games of the season. How about that? Weird indeed. Weird indeed. All right, let's bring on our guest. Back to the podcast in a second, but Bruce, first, a a word about our sponsor, Chicken Ribs. This is a very timely uh, ad spot. We were recording this on Wednesday on Tuesday night. It was my turn to cook in the household, and I put some chicken ribs in the oven. My family always enjoys them. Excellent, Stu. I'm glad to know the podcast is making you a much more well-received husband and father. Chef, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not the, the anywhere near the chef that my wife is, but I can handle chicken ribs. They are chicken. It's the, the name 
does it justice. Chicken that tastes like ribs, authentic dry barbecue spice rub, and real hickory wood smoke. It's healthy barbecue, basically. 75% less fat and calories than traditional pork ribs. Convenient. They come fully cooked. You just heat and eat. Perfect for a tailgate or having a tailgate at home. And it's free two-day shipping nationwide, vacuum packaged right from the smokehouse. So here's what you want to do. Great barbecue takes time, but chicken ribs makes it easy. Fully cooked from the smokehouse, chicken ribs are authentic barbecue ready in just minutes. Go to www.chickenribs.com and use code AUDIBLE today to get $10 off plus free two-day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat for the big game, whether at home or the tailgate? That's chickenribs.com. Use AUDIBLE for $10 off plus free two-day shipping. All right, we are pleased to be joined now by our colleague Grace Rayner. She is our excellent Clemson writer and also, starting Thursday, one of the contributors to our new podcast, Atlantic and Coastal, which, as you can tell by the name, is our podcast devoted to all things ACC football. Grace, your team that you cover is playing in the first ABC primetime game of the season Saturday night at Wake Forest. And you're going. How? how, how tell us what it. Um, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like at, at Grove Stadium with with game day coming, but with no fans? I am going. It. I feel like it feels a little surreal that we're at this place. Um, but I don't know. Just to to show up with no fans and just kind of just take it all in. I'm curious to kind of see what it feels like I mean it's gonna be a bizarre experience in terms of you know I'll watch the game from the press box but then I won't see Dabo Sweeney or any of the players um in person until who knows when so we'll be doing everything on zoom but I'm excited that football is back and to to get a little action and and kind of see where this thing goes Grace, uh, when we last saw the Clemson Tigers, they were having their hands full with LSU in the national title game. And as terrific a defensive coordinator as Brent Venables is, it didn't feel like they had the horses on the D-line like they at least had in previous years. But uh, everything I've heard out of there is that the group of freshmen that they brought in, a bunch of five-star guys, have been as advertised. What have you heard about this group and how much different do you think that makes Clemson's defense in 2020? Yeah, I mean, just to hear the way that Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables talk about these guys, I think Dabo had said that they are better than advertised and Brent Venables, I mean, you guys know this is not a dude that really dishes out praise unless he really means it. And so when he's saying, okay, yeah, Brian Brzee and Miles Murphy are the real deal, um, I'm inclined to believe him, but you know, Brian, just starting with him, he's obviously the number one recruit in the nation, and Clemson has already listed him on its depth chart um, as a co-starter, and so he's he's right in there battling for that other starting position alongside Tyler Davis. You look at Miles, he's going to give them a lot of good depth in the defensive ends room that they're going to need without Xavier Thomas as he kind of works his way back. Um, but, you know, I just think that Of course, when you look at Clemson's defensive line, nothing is going to really compare to the group that we saw in 2018. Those guys were just monsters across the board. But I do think that Clemson now has the depth and the personnel to kind of go back to that traditional four-man front and and kind of go back to what we had seen from Venables in the past. Now that they got some bodies, Tyler Davis is back. Um, They feel good about Justin Foster, even though he's kind of been out a little bit during camp. 
Uh, but long story short, they have they have the bodies and they certainly have the talent in a lot of these five star guys. So Clemson was the preseason number one team. You know, the second last year's championship game ended. That's never changed, and for obvious reasons, Trevor Lawrence is back. Travis Etienne, much to everybody's surprise, is back. And obviously, this is a program at this point that we just expect to reload from year to year. But kind of sneaking under the radar, I mean, T. Higgins is gone, obviously. But also in the spring, they lost Justin Ross unexpectedly. You can fill us in a little bit about what happened there. Um, And four new starters on the offensive line, I believe. Um, How confident are we that this is just going to be another 40, 50-point-a-game Clemson offense? Yeah, I mean, I have some questions just to kind of see what the wide receivers look like because, as you mentioned, you know, T is gone. And then Justin, this offseason, found out that he has a congenital fusion in his spine, which they're still kind of trying to work through. Is it safe enough for him to play football again? And so he won't play in 2020. And then you look at these, you know, starting wide receivers and a bunch of them, Amari Rogers, Joseph Ngata, Frank Ladson, they were all out during times with preseason camp because of COVID-19 protocol. And so, you know, Joseph Ngata, who is supposed to replace T as the boundary receiver, told us yesterday that he missed 75% of preseason camp in this in this protocol. So I think there's some questions there about kind of just what are they going to look like? What kind of shape are, are Ladson and Ngata going to be in, especially with all the time they missed? Um, but, you know, Clemson has been really singing the praises of Cornell Powell. He's a redshirt senior. He's kind of versatile. He can play all three spots, give them a little bit of flexibility there. And then you're right with this O-line. You know, I think they feel really good about their first group. Jackson Carmen is the only returning starter, but a lot of these backups got some pretty meaningful reps a year ago. But I think that if you were to ask Dabo Sweeney straight up, you know, what's what's your biggest concern? It's that second group offensive line. They still have a lot of questions trying to figure that out. Grace, I wanted to to talk a little more about Trevor Lawrence. I feel like we have seen a ton of him since he has been in college football. His two-plus years there feel a lot longer than that, in part because he's been on the big stage for most of it. He came in there with a big reputation. He had a great, obviously, freshman uh, season and the way it was capped off in the national title game. But we've also seen him grow, and you've written a lot about this, about you've seen him develop not just on the field but his voice and how he's matured off the field and what we've seen him speak out about big issues and become largely the face of college football so as somebody who's been around him from the time he's got there can you walk us through a little bit of how you've seen this maturation process of where he was when he got there perception wise to where you see him at now absolutely I mean so when Trevor showed up in, in 2018, obviously he, he came into Clemson's campus as, you know, an instant celebrity and everywhere he went, even when he was an early enrollee, people were asking for photos and all that stuff. But Trevor's really only goal that really that entire season was to win the starting quarterback job. And his main focus was, you know, Kelly Bryant was a senior. He was popular. He was the incumbent. You know, Trevor was just kind of trying to navigate you know, winning this job and then also making sure that he was in good standing with his teammates because Kelly was really popular. And so when we saw Trevor as a freshman, it was basically just all football. And then as he kind of progresses into his sophomore season, we see him really taking on a leadership role. You can kind of tell, okay, this is his team now. Um, He just kind of embraced that a little bit more, but we hadn't really seen him speak out about 
national issues and social issues until now. And that was something that he was, had even said this week was that he didn't really realize how large his platform was and that people wanted to hear his opinion until June when Clemson had uh, their peaceful protest and he helped plan it. And so I think Trevor, you know, one of the things that he has said is that now that he has this voice and has this platform, he feels like there's sometimes an expectation for him to speak out on certain things and, you know, people are wanting him to say certain things, but he's also still trying to figure out, you know, okay, what do I believe in? What do, what do I think first? And so that's been a line that he's been really navigating this offseason before he does use his platform for the things that he cares about. Uh, but I think that now, you know, when we talk about Trevor, I think that it's now gotten to the point where you can't really talk about him as just an on-field player, that what he's done off the field and how he's really come into this role as, you know, the face of college football has been equally remarkable. Another interesting thing about Trevor is that, so, you know, in the last month or so, we've seen several of the guys who are projected to be top five picks, Jamar Chase at LSU, Panay Sewell at Oregon, Michael Parsons at Penn State, opt out. And, and even guys, obviously, that are not as highly regarded have opted out to prepare for the NFL draft. Jamie Newman, the Georgia quarterback. If there's anybody in college football that could opt out this season and still be the number one pick in the draft, it would be Trevor Lawrence. I'm sure you guys have asked him about that. Like, has it ever been a possibility? Yeah, 100%. You're right. Like, I don't think anyone in on the universe would, would fault Trevor if that's what's something that he wanted to do. But... You know, it's interesting when you ask him about that because it was something that, you know, of course he considered his options, but he was telling us earlier this offseason that it was never really a defined decision of I'm going to play. It was just kind of always in the back of his mind that I'm not going to opt out until it makes sense for me to do that. And he felt like he never got to that point. And so it was never an official aha moment or, okay, this is it. It was just... I'm going to keep playing until it doesn't make sense for me to do that anymore. And he just never reached that point. And so here we are, you know, they're about to start their season and he's ready to roll. But, you know, he's been obviously, as you guys know, just extremely vocal in in starting the we want to play movement. And he's been very adamant about this is what he wants to do. This is his decision. And in his mind, it makes sense. And he's going to roll with it. Grace, on that issue, I'm curious as, as to how you, as a beat writer, but as somebody who's who's around around the program, how do you feel like the perception of Clemson football is in terms of what people may have seen it two years ago compared to maybe where it is now? And I'm not ta- just talking about like how recruits see it and how they, but just in terms of, I, I thought I saw Dabo make a comment uh yesterday on on tuesday about hey a lot of people said it was like my twitter uh you know stance and it wasn't it was the team stance and some of this stuff is i guess what i'm getting at is what 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 is real and what is perceived and from your perspective what do you think people maybe misunderstand when it comes to clemson yeah the social media thing has been a big one you know this is the first season since gosh uh, around, I think, 2011, maybe, that the players are going to have social media during the season. And that was something that Dabo was pretty vocal about this week is, hey, you know, I've taken the brunt for this being my policy, but it, it's never been my policy. Um, it's been something that the seniors have voted on and then the team has gone along with. And so I think that the perception of Clemson as they continue to 
establish themselves and make it perfectly clear that they are here on this national stage and they don't seem to be going anywhere. They're, you know, recruiting at a extremely high level is just that they're having to understand that they're going to be under the microscope a little bit more. And also people care more about what they think, what they're doing, you know, what their quarterback has to say about issues going on in the world, what their coach believes on social media. And so, you know, I think that Dabo has always been an outspoken coach and he's always shared his opinion on things, but now it's at the point where people are actively seeking Clemson out. You know, where does Clemson stand? What does Dabo think? What does Trevor think? And I think that as they continue to make this run in the college football playoff that, you know, who knows what the end inside is for that. Um, that's really not going to go anywhere anytime soon. Well, the interesting thing about Dabo is, and maybe you can help us identify when this perception changed, but for the first several years of this run, he was the aw shucks, uh, feel good story coach who, you know, was the, the foil to all business Nick Saban. He's the fun coach. At some point in the last year, Dabo himself became a villain to much of the public and obviously they've had a kind of they've had a lot of controversy this offseason whether people felt like he didn't speak out soon enough uh, about racial injustice he was wearing that football matters t-shirt you could say that was uh, an overblown controversy but it certainly had its its viral moments um some things I'm, I'm probably forgetting off the top of my head but like I it does feel to me like Dabo now has that um that that he's he's he, i don't know if the whole country has shit turned on him but that he's now seen as the villain maybe they've just been winning for too long i think that's part of it and i think that you know the perception just from my point of view is that once it became clear that clemson was going to have some staying power in this thing i don't think people responded well to Dabo and Clemson continuing to play the underdog card. I think that that rubbed people the wrong way. You know, the little old Clemson and the rest of y'all bus. And I just think that, you know, when you're at the point where he is now, you guys are the best team in college football and you're not going anywhere. And so I think that people got a little bit annoyed about that. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, it was it was a very trying offseason at Clemson. I mean, they had, you know, nearly 40 kids get this virus. Dabo's longtime assistant coach, uses the N-word in a 2017 practice, that that comes out. Uh, Dabo took some heat for his comments on George Floyd. They had uh, some decommitments in the recruiting cycle. I mean, it was a very trying offseason for Clemson, and I don't think that anyone there would, would disagree with that. He's also taken some heat for, and, and again, um, players being paid and amateurism is one of those issues that... Um, sports media Twitter feels a lot more strongly about than the public at large, but I know he's taken some heat for um, being very adamant. I mean, still to this day, still very adamant against uh, name, image, and likeness and players getting paid, um, even though he himself is now making, I believe, $9 million a year. Yeah, I think that that, I mean, a lot of his comments about, you know, it was a quote that kind of circulated again this summer when he had said, you know, if players get paid, I'm going to go do something else or I might as well go to the pros. And so I think that with the name, image and likeness thing, he is on board when there are some parameters. That's been his biggest thing is kind of what's going to be the national standard here. And I feel like Clemson feels like it's in a good place to kind of put these kids 
um, in position to, you know, take advantage of that. But for sure, I mean, when when you say as adamantly as he did a few years ago, you know, this is something that I'm not going to do anymore if players get paid. You're going to have to answer questions about that when it starts to recircle and recycle now that we are really staring down NIL reform and where this thing is headed. Grace, as it relates to this season, I think there's a lot of folks who look and say, well, the SEC is playing. It it ramped up its conference schedule because you have 10 games, and and that perception-wise is a is a heavier lift, whereas the ACC for for a while now has felt like it's Clemson and everybody else. So when you look at Clemson's schedule now, they do have to go to Notre Dame, who at least I think is probably the second best team in the league and a, a legitimate playoff contender. And then at the end of the year, they have Virginia Tech on the road. And I think Virginia Tech, from everything I've heard, expects to be a lot better than people think. But having said that, uh, you're around them. What do you? Th- I mean, do you think this is a something's going to have to go really wrong for Clemson not to be undefeated at the end of this and just waltz right into the playoff, barring some kind of quarantine situation where a bunch of players can't play? I mean, is it? Is, do you think it's that margin between them and everybody else is that sizable in the ACC right now? You know, I think that I'm 100% on board with you. Like, I think Notre Dame is the second best team in this conference and, and Clemson obviously has to go there then I think that they'll probably meet again in the ACC championship. Um, I still think that Clemson is the clear favorite to win the ACC. I think that there's still a a massive gap between them and and the rest of the conference. I think the gap between them and Notre Dame is smaller, but still there. But I am curious, just kind of, you know, in the age of 2020 and and COVID-19 and this particular football season, like you were mentioning, you know, if something happens with, players or testing or contact tracing position groups all that kind of stuff like can can a team go undefeated in 2020 I don't know the answer to that question I think that if there is one that can do it it would be Clemson but there are just a lot of unknowns with playing a football season that is going to be so unprecedented yeah I mean we're already seeing it Um, I believe there are now five games that have been postponed from the first weekend because of teams dealing with covid clemson of course was that like clemson was the pioneer in this department what what was the they got up to like 33 or 37 test positive tests when they first got back to campus in june yeah so they had gosh god doesn't june feel like it was 400 years ago yes <laughs> they had um i believe they had 23 get it at one time in june and then they're then they had i think 14 more which brought it to 37 and then they've kind of had a couple more here and there. I mean, we're now at the point where it's been over 40. Um, Dabo did say this week that since early July, they've had four football players get it. And so he feels like they're in a pretty good space now. But I mean, I think that when that news came out of Clemson, which was the largest number that we had seen anywhere in the country, uh, that was that was pretty alarming for for a team that is supposed to win it all. And here, here they are. They've got, you know, a massive number of kids that have contracted the virus. Uh, one more thing about the ACC real quick. Uh, you are a UNC grad. Uh, you have gone, I think you went there last year to do a st- do the state of the program, Mac Brown's first season, and you did it again this year over the phone. Um, they're the trendy pick. They're, they're preseason. I think once you eliminate all the teams that aren't playing, they, they actually start to near the top 10. Are you a believer? 
I am a believer. I mean, I, I'm excited to see what Sam Howell's going to do. You know, obviously they've got Chaz Surratt back as the the piece of their defense. I, I think that before Notre Dame came into the mix, I was you know, on, I was a believer that we might be seeing Clemson, North Carolina in the ACC championship game. And I think a lot of people would love to see that rematch. Uh, But now that Notre Dame's in the mix, I think it's gotten harder for him. And, you know, I expect the Fighting Irish to be in there, but I am interested to see the leap that, that Mac takes in from year one to year two, what people are expecting of him, kind of what this team looks like. Um, But I'm, I'm on board with them as the trendy pick. All right, Grace, we appreciate your time and your perspective. As always, we encourage everyone to follow her. She's been a great asset to the athletics coverage, not just on Clemson, but obviously on all things ACC as well. Uh, Can't wait to see how this plays out. I mean, everyone feels like that Clemson's the lock, if there is a lock, in 2020. And um, it's going to be an interesting ride for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to get things rolling and see where we go from here. Thanks, Grace. Yeah, thank you all. I appreciate it. Back to the podcast in a second, but a word about one of our favorite sponsors, Homefield. Homefield is a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that makes incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. I am actually, as we speak, wearing my Homefield Xavier Musketeers vintage mid-1980s logo on the shirt. They dig through the archives to make designs that are thoughtful and have meaning to you. They have 90 plus schools and they're adding schools all the time. If they don't have your school, they're probably trying to get licensed for them. Get your schools and design you like the most comfortable fabrics at homefieldapparel.com. They are adding schools all the time. So show some school spirit for your favorite teams or alma mater. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use code audible for 20% off your first purchase. College football is back. And this is homefieldapparel.com. Use code Audible for 20% off your first purchase today. Bruce, let's close out the show with a couple mailbag questions. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. So we saw BYU go in and annihilate Navy, who was a pretty good team last year. And that leads Justin Lyles of Oakwood, Ohio to ask, with BYU's weekend revamp schedule consisting of just eight games, is it possible for the undefeated Cougars to make the playoff this year? I don't think so. I just don't think they're going to have enough uh, carryover credibility in terms of, you know, they would need Navy to go from here to run through the AAC, and I just don't think that's going to be enough to happen, right? I mean, I, it, it, unfortunately for them, People are going to look in and go, well, you played Navy and they hadn't been, they hadn't really been able to to practice tackling and some of those other issues. And then, you know, they're going to play UTSA and they're going to play Texas State. But they're, I just don't think there's just going to be enough carryover for them for for the playoff committee to, to buy in, especially when I, I think this does matter a little bit. Where in previous years. If you're going to be a team that's kind of off the radar, you need to be a team that had some some success against some big schools previously. And I'm not talking about beating Tennessee when Tennessee was, you know, had lost to a group of five right before that. So I I don't think so. I mean, it was fun to watch them play the other night, and I I think they have a fun offensive system, but I think it's too far of a stretch. 
No, I mean, the schedule, it's it's remarkable that Tom Holmo, their AD, was able to build an eight-game schedule after they lost 10 opponents from the original schedule. But it is a, a pretty weak schedule uh, out of necessity. I mean, Navy may end up being the best, if not one of the best teams they play all season. They do play at Army in a couple weeks. Then it's Troy, UTSA, at Houston. Maybe Houston will be better this year. Then Texas State, Western Kentucky, North Alabama. They're not going to get playoff consideration. I think the interesting question would be, can they, if they go undefeated, can they finish high enough in the rankings to make a New Year's Six Bowl? And by the way, they are not considered a group of five team, so they are not eligible for that automatic spot. So they would, pr- they would probably have to finish in the top 10 to, to play in a New Year's Six Bowl. And even that, I'm not sure. I think in a normal year, no way, right? I mean, you, that schedule is not going to get taken seriously by the committee. In this year... First of all, there's fewer teams playing. Second of all, this is not listed in the official selection committee criteria, but sympathy, <laughs> empathy should be one of them. Like if you managed, you said it last week, if you managed to go undefeated this year when you had to do, you know, beat not just your teams on your schedule, but basically beat COVID, manage COVID, you deserve a prize. So um, I would like to see them get that reward if it comes to it. But, you know, they're only playing eight games. Others are going to, you know, knock on wood, play 10 or 11. Um, and it's just, you know, at the end of the day, are they going to rank really rank eight and O BYU ahead of, uh, you know, eight and two Georgia, who beat a bunch of schools that you're much more familiar with? Probably not. Um, and then our other one I wanted to get to is from John Roberts of North Carolina, kind of a similar themed question. Hey guys, love the podcast. If the fall crowns a champion in the playoff, and the Big Ten and Pac-12 champs play in a Rose Bowl in the spring. Would you be willing to consider the idea of a split national title, or could the polls be taken after that spring Rose Bowl to declare an AP and coaches poll national champ in the final top 25? Um, I think the answer is yes, it is a possibility, but the AP would have to agree to hold off their final poll. I mean, the college football playoff champion is the champion of the coaches poll, and they are clearly the legitimate champion. But would the AP be willing to hold off on their final poll till, I mean, now I think we're starting to talk about these teams playing in Thanksgiving. So maybe it's late January, early February, whatever it would be. So if, you know, let's say the national champ in the playoff is a um, two-loss team. And let's say Ohio State goes 9-0, and beats the Pac-12 champ in the Rose Bowl. Could they finish number one in the AP poll and we have a split championship? I don't know the answer to that, right? But here's what I think, uh, and, and this is different, but if Ohio State were to play, and let's say that the Mountain West decides they could play and the Pac-12 decides they can play, and I don't know if it's a Mac, but let's just say the people who are not playing for the most part decide they can play at a, at a little bit later date. I mean, would you have a problem if Ohio State was undefeated and they came out of there and they claimed a national title? Oh, I think anybody, you know, I have no problem with people claiming national titles and especially this season. I think if BYU goes 9-0, and they should claim a national title. And that doesn't mean the rest of the country is going to uh, recognize it, but they can print up the t-shirts. Um, I think, you know, I think, again, this is, you're going to have to. I feel like this is a little different, though, than like what you UCF from a couple of years ago, though. Well, you need, I still think you need some legitimate some regula- regulated body yeah. to say so that. So if they go nine and zero, and and let's say let's say ohio state and of course we have no idea how many games these these teams are gonna be able to play and if they play an adjusted schedule but 
I think most people agree it'll be somewhere in the range of eight or nine. So let's say Ohio State plays, we'll, we'll just say they play eight regular season games. They win them all. Then they beat, uh, I don't know, Wisconsin, who has a really good record in the conference championship game, and then go to this spring Rose Bowl and beat, we'll say, eight and one Oregon. To me, that's that's worthy of the consideration for cert, for sure against whoever wins the playoff. But if the AP has already, if the AP decides to just go ahead and close shop after the college football playoff, then then what does Ohio State get to point to to say? I mean, I remember when I remember when Auburn went undefeated in two thousand four. Golf Digest named them national champions. Like, you know, maybe maybe the Athletic, maybe we'll hold a final poll. Maybe they finish number one in that, and they can make a banner off that. We'll see. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, really, I, I don't know. I, at this point, like, whoever, whoever wins in the fall, whether it's Clemson, Alabama, whoever, uh, there will be something behind them and say, okay, the, they're, they're the national champs, and that's probably going to be the one that will be most people recognized. But I wouldn't fault somebody if, they, if, they, if it comes to this. Again, there's a lot of stuff that's going to happen between now and, and Thanksgiving, say. But at that point... I wouldn't have a problem with them 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 saying that because it's just these circumstances are so out of people's control right now. I think it's 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 such a different year, and maybe this is a, dis, a separate discussion at some point. But I I don't know when you look at this year. I think what would define as a successful season is just a very different prism than it normally is. So that's why to me I I think it's you know I don't begrudge anybody for that. Well, that's very logical and very reasonable. And I'm sure that if it came to that, the fans of the team that won the college football playoff would be just exa- have, feel exactly the same way you do and take a totally rational approach and salute Ohio State on their accomplishment. No chance. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. If you enjoy The Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and a rating if you could, too. It helps us get the word out. Our producer is John Hayes. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on Spotify or Apple Music. Follow me on Twitter at SLMandel. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic yet, this is the perfect time for you to join. In honor of hitting 1 million subscribers, we are offering a crazy promotion, just $1 a month. Normally our annual subscriptions are $5 a month. This one is $1 a month. Just use our code here at The Audible, which is theathletic.com slash theaudible to get your annual subscription first year, $1 a month.